Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. We create synergy by focusing on the common vision that we have for doing good in the world. Center Vision transforms leaders, transforming organizations, transforming lives. This is episode number 309 for the Nonprofit Exchange, uh, although we don't count them as a bunch of really good resources. And you can go find out about it at the, T-H-E, Nonprofit exchange.org org and that's an information page and then there's a link to click and you can see all of the archives for the episodes so um didn't tell our guest mark willis and he's muted so unmute i want you to tell people a little bit about who mark is and what is your passion for this work that you're doing well hugh i'm just so honored to be on the show and thank you for all you've done for nonprofits and um, clergymen around the world thank you for that uh, yeah, my passion and my background uh, are kind of wrapped up together, like most of us, I suppose. Most of the time, our backgrounds sort of inform our passion, don't they? Uh, well, uh, I stumbled out of seminary with six figures of student loan debt to my name and uh, no real plan to pay it off, except they kept calling me every month wanting more money. What do you know? They wanted that money back. <laughs> After all those student loans were taken out, they seemed to want the money back, plus interest. So my wife and I had to figure this money thing out. And at the beginning, we were so bad at uh, figuring money stuff out that we had to sit in a public space in case there needed to be witnesses uh, to figure out our budgets and uh, cash flow and our financial plan. Every month, it was one more month. Are, how are we going to survive, right? Uh, and one by one, step by step, uh, we got our feet underneath us and figured out where we wanted to go and ultimately got so interested in this thing called money as a means by which to meet our goals and not only our goals, but our life dreams and mission that uh, we started a financial firm, Lake Growth Financial Services. We work with folks all over the country, business owners, nonprofits, individuals, families, uh, to help them reach their financial goals without taking a bunch of unnecessary risk and to do it in a way that's sort of counterintuitive to the oh-so-average financial information you get on the radio and TV these days. Yes, yes. Now, we we have a lot of myths associated with our work, and it starts with the word nonprofit, which is really not a truthful statement. It's not a philosophy either, because we got to make, well, we can call it proceeds if the word profit bothers you. But it's it's proceeds, and then there's the we're stewards basically of other people's money. So so why do people have such weird ideas about money and don't want to talk about money? What do you think's behind that? Wow, well that's probably a couple of therapy sessions right there that we probably don't have time for. But but there's a there is a relationship with money, and we we seem to think it is somehow counter to the. The values of the charity that we might be helping to lead or the nonprofit that we might be there to lead. And you're right, there is a misnomer in the name. Uh, I know a number of really awesome organizations, let's call them, that are, you know, uh, on the outset nonprofit, but are running very successful businesses to help support that nonprofit. Uh, so there are, uh, you know, wonderful organizations that the IRS tax code allows us to have where we can still run a 
profitable enterprise, but the profits go back into supporting the, the mission of the business. Uh, so just a number of different scenarios there, but you're right. So many charities are on the brink right now, uh, mostly because they are holding on to an old model where they're 100% dependent on the donations of their supporters. If you lose a donor, you know, like passing away or just moving on, the donor moves on, then that puts the charity at risk. And by the way, every donor has an expiration date on our backs. That means you and me, right? All of us have an expiration date. So we have to figure out a, a, a profitable, sustainable way to uh, move to multiple generations. I like as a certified financial planner, I sit down with nonprofits, individuals, and think not just about this year's you know, fundraising event, but how are we going to last the next 100 years and beyond? Well, it, it, it brings up the question of legacy. You know, do we want our vision to die with us? And so part of, um, I see some really interesting stuff on uh, your website. It's, it's called lakegrowth.com. Is that what it's called? That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, for people on the podcast, they can't see it, but they can go there. People watching the video can, can see it's Lake Growth. So when people go there, lakegrowth.com, uh, they get a chance to book a meeting with you so they can get smarter about this. But what else will they find on your website? The website is a sort of a teaser of what it is like to work uh, with us and what it feels like to have more control over your financial future. See, most people live their entire financial lives out of control. Uh, they, they hand away their control to banks, uh, finance companies, Wall Street, uh, and other financial gurus that may or may not have their best interest at heart. And I think that's no more true than with the nonprofit. You know, too often we think, well, let's let somebody else handle this money thing. And I don't care if you're a church or a synagogue or a, a nonprofit or a 501c3 of any sort, you still have to be, even if you're not the accountant, you still, if you're a board member, or if you're a leader, you need to know what your numbers are. Uh, otherwise, someone else is going to build a plan around your money, and we don't want that, whether it's your own personal retirement plan or the charities or the nonprofits account statements and balance sheets. So, you know, there have to be some non-traditional methods of giving, uh, you know, beyond passing the hat once a year or those year-end uh, chicken dinners that we put on. Uh, you know, we can certainly look at uh, donor advised funds and wills and trusts and life insurance all, all are part of the overall package for our non nonprofit clients to help think uh, strategically and long range about how to last that next 100 years. I had a legendary event Sunday. There was a luncheon I went to a picnic of area clergy. And it was the first time in my memory we did not have fried chicken. We're in the mm -hmm. South. So, so um, Mark, um, let's talk about financial strategies and there's personal strategies and there's organizational strategies. Is there any relationship to us as a leader being financially astute about our finances so that we can lead the organization in a more efficient manner? Well, yes, I think money involved is, is half of every transaction in the entire world. In fact, that's a really eye-opening statement. And as a Christian myself personally, uh, I was surprised to find that Jesus talked more about money than virtually any other topic. And I never really understood why. And as I went through seminary myself, uh, I was surprised to find that 
there was very little in the way of education around personal finance for the clergy that they were training or the conversations a clergyman might have with their elders or deacons or whoever might be, you know, helping to organize and run that, that, that uh, congregation. It was just a surprise to me. Now, maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't take that elective. Uh, and I take responsibility for not learning the money thing myself. But it really struck me as I graduated with a graduate degree that I just didn't have a theology of this thing called money. So that's, again, about 30 days after I graduate, somewhere around there, my, my Sally Mae friend starts to give me a call and regularly sends me bills. And Sally continues to, to pester me until uh, we get a plan together to start paying her back, Sally Mae being the student loans that we had, we had incurred. So uh, that sort of forced me into an education around money. And I would suggest, yeah, that that your personal relationship with money will impact your financial future, but also that of the organization that you're helping to lead, for sure. There's an integrity in that, having your own house in order before you put the other house in order, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. I think there's a uh, there's a fractal relationship for sure. You know, the small things. If you're if you're faithful in those small things, you're going to be faithful in the big things. Amen, amen. So, if you could create a perfect financial strategy for life, what would that be? Oh, that's a I think a, a question too few people ask. I think most of us kind of go through life being handed retirement accounts, savings accounts. When I was five years old, my, my mom took me with my paper bag full of coins and dollar bills and opened up a checking account. And I just sort of was handed this, this thing called a checking account at five years old, right? What's a five-year-old know about a, a bank account? Uh, and then fast forward, you get a 401k dropped in your lap or a 403b in the case of nonprofits. Uh, and then you're handed a Roth IRA. And then you might grab a crypto account if you're feeling um, dicey and, and you might get some credit cards and then you might get a house. And all of these things just sort of start falling into our laps, but never do we ever sit down and say, what do I want my money to do for me? And that's no more true on a personal level than it is at the nonprofit level or the organizational level, Hugh. Uh, where you put your money makes it do different things. And that's just a, seems like such a brain dead obvious statement to say coming from a CFP, but I can't tell you how often folks have never really sat and said, well, what do I truly want? my money doing for me? Do I want there to be some uh, tax advantages when I access this money? Do I want there to be liquidity, access to the money for whatever I want? Do I want there to be a good competitive rate of return? Do I want it to be accessible to creditors if I fall into bankruptcy or fall into on hard times? Uh, do I want it to be you know, private outside of the reach of, of let's say, the government or, or banks or whatnot? Uh, or even uh, people who might attach themselves to my estate if I pass away. So creating for myself a little wish list, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and just create a brand new perfect financial instrument, um, those would be some of the initial questions I would start asking. What do I truly believe about taxes, for example? Will they go down or up over my lifetime? So these are some of the things. I'm, I'm curious, Hugh, I don't mean to turn the tables too much here, but if you could create your own perfect financial vehicle, what, what sort of attributes or characteristics would you want it to have? Well, I can, I can give you an update on it after this interview, but certainly we have a, a certified financial planner and all of our money is under management. And my wife works for the Methodist Church and they have a container as well. And, you know, that's been a real, and we're at the place in life we're debt free. So now we have ultimate choices and we have more income than our expenses. So we've, we've been very frugal. I'm a 
recovering Scottish Presbyterian, we use the word frugal. Other people have different names for it, you know. We're the ones, you know, the Scots are the ones that pray, forgive us our debts in the Lord's Prayer. But anyway, <laughs> we'll go past that. <laughs> so um, for, the, um, for my next question, there's probably one person out there that doesn't recognize CFP. Would you give the significance of that? And then we'll ask the next question. Oh, sure. Yeah. A certified financial planner. That is a very specific kind of financial advisor. Uh, you see, there are any number of hundreds of thousands of financial professionals out there. They could be, you know, merely investment gurus, just uh, selling you stocks. They could be an insurance agent. They could be a lawyer. Um, they could be your cousin Eddie, who took a weekend course on budgeting. The words financial advisor means almost nothing uh, on a on any kind of like official standpoint. So be aware of kind of generic terms. But a certified financial planner has to act in your best interest and has gone through a rigorous testing. It took me about three years to get that the, those letters after my name. Uh, and I count it right next to my Master's of Divinity as the some of the best education I've ever had in life. And I count them together. In fact, I kind of jokingly say, uh, my favorite book of the Bible is the book of Numbers, because uh, I got a CFP right after getting my MDiv. So I've always loved the idea of um, working on the client's side of the table, in their best interest to make sure that whatever we set up and recommend is uh, going to help them get through their goals. Yeah, that's a very, very strong discipline. And, um, you know, I could be called a broker because I help people get broker. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go there. Or, uh, or, or oftentimes the financial broker, the stock brokers are broker than you or the client, right? Uh, too bad. Um, but you want to be careful who you're getting your advice from because they might be broker than you. Yeah. That's right. And I've met brokers that said, you know, they made people small fortunes. And I said, did you, they start with a large fortune? <laughs> You've heard all right. So, so um, we are entrepreneurs. We're social entrepreneurs. We like to think we're clergy. We're nonprofit leaders. We are, but we're forging new kind of entrepreneurial ventures because we're doing, we're filling the void and bringing value in a different way, supposedly to humankind. So as, as an, entrepreneur in that broad sense, if you buy that nomenclature, um, how can we fire a banker and become our own source of financing? The biggest reason I see nonprofits and businesses go belly up and bankrupt is not because they, you know, picked the wrong market or they didn't uh, market enough or they, they had too much, you know, uh, glue in the back of the inventory or whatever. It's because of banks. Banks have taken people out for thousands of years. In fact, there's a great book, uh, Hugh. It's uh, by David Graeber. The title is my favorite part. The title is Debt, the First 5,000 Years. What a, what a title, right? The First 5,000 Years. And so what I take from the book and from the title even is that banks banking has as much to do with human civilization as almost any other uh, you know, tradition we have. You know, it's it's as old as friendship, as far as I'm concerned. It's as old as as just about any other art, music, whatever. But the problem is, none of us have banking in house. So, you know, I had outsourced my banking to a student loan company, and many of us outsource our banking to mortgages, credit cards, college loans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but what if you could in house your banking? What if you could actually pay yourself? the interest that was 
currently out the door to banks, credit cards, finance companies, et cetera, lines of credit, um, and actually pay yourself an interest above and beyond just paying cash for things, you'd actually be paying cash. In fact, I do now. Uh, now, having done this myself for over a decade, this is how I paid off all my student debt. Rather than just paying my debts off and having nothing to show for it, instead, I borrowed against myself, paid myself an interest and wiped out all my all my creditors, all my snakes, all my student loans, and became better than debt-free. So this, to me, is better than paying cash, because when you function like a banker in your life, boy, you can uh, you know achieve things beyond just simply being debt-free. That's great. Now, we've gotten halfway through this uh, interview, and we didn't talk about the title of this interview yet. Shame on me. Bank on Yourself. So I noticed behind you, there's a book, Bank, with that title. So Explain that title, please. Well, it's a great kind of metaphor and philosophy as much as it is a particular financial tactic and strategy. So I'll start with the philosophy and then I'll move down to the tactics and strategies, I suppose. So it is a philosophy, like bank on yourself. Why not? You know, there's there's other things that are asking you to bank on themselves, whether it's the government or a large, um, you know, industry like Wall Street. Uh, when you bank on things that you cannot control, you're, you're going to be in a world of hurt, you know, um, because if I, if I don't know what my account values are going to be worth when it's time to retire or tap into them, do I really have a financial plan or do I just have hope and pray strategies? So at a philosophical level, I would prefer to re rely on things that I at least have some control over. Now, I, I am a big believer that no one has complete control over anything. We, we control less than we think we do in our lives. I've been through a couple of, you know, curveballs in my life to get that pretty well. I've been hit upside the head a few times with that truth. So we don't control as much as we think we do, but I do believe that we can influence more than we think we can. So by saying bank on yourself, and, and it's a book written by Pamela Yellen. It was a New York Times bestselling book a few years ago. Great book, great concept on the philosophy of taking control of your financial future. But it uses and employs, of all things, a, a very old-fashioned form of whole life insurance, but modernized for, let's say, today's more modern needs like capital expenses and so forth. So it's the idea of using a cash value like a bank. The, the life insurance has a death benefit, sure, but it has a cash value, though, that you can access like a liquid pool of money like a bank. Uh, not truly a bank, of course, but like a bank, you can access it and even borrow against it and buy your cars, pay off your student loans like I did, invest in your nonprofit's capital needs, whether you know it was a church van or, or a bunch of inventory you might need or a marketing campaign your nonprofit might need, and pay yourself back. So it's, it's both a philosophy of, wow, what if I could bring the banking function back in-house, but it's also a tactical strategy that's been around for 200 plus years. Wow. Wow. That's really key. So I want to get a couple more examples. Um, so give me more examples of how that's different from being debt-free. Mm -hmm. So give us a little more, wet our appetite for more, would you? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a counterintuitive concept. And when I first stumbled across it, I was very uh, skeptical, let's say. And as a CFP, my radar was up, you know, uh, but I was desperate to find a good way to become debt-free myself. And I was following certain advice, let's say, that I had heard on certain radio stations to, you know, do the debt snowball method. And that's a method by which you pay off your debts one at a time. 
you know, smallest to largest, that sort of thing. And I was following that pretty religiously. And I had thrown extra cash at it every month. And we were living well beneath our means. Um, but I was getting that empty feeling. You know, that feeling when you eat a ton of candy or, or a bunch of cake and cookies or whatever, you get that sugar crash. It feels great for about 15 minutes and then you crash, you know? Um, that's sort of how it feels when you pay cash for something, whether it's paying off a debt like I was or buying, let's say, a big purchase like a car or, you know, a large real estate investment or whatever. If I, if I pay cash, I'm still financing that purchase, even though I paid cash. Now, let me explain because that sounds pretty weird. Um, either you pay interest to a banker or you pay cash and pass up interest you could have earned on that money. So therefore, I believe through something called opportunity cost, that's what this is called, the opportunity cost of my dollar in my pocket right now, it might be $1 in my pocket, but it might be $6 over my lifetime. You see what I mean? If I don't buy that cup of coffee this afternoon, then that $1 might grow to $6 over my lifetime. So the true price of that cup of coffee was not $1, it was $6 due to the power of compound uh, opportunity cost. Does that make sense from, from the outset? It does, okay. So if I was to just pay off all my debts, I'd be, let's say I'd be four years older and back at net zero. And I'd feel great for about 15 minutes until I realized I'm now four years older and I'm at net zero. <laughs> so that doesn't get us further down the road. Yeah, that might bring me to the starting line of my marathon, but I needed to, I needed to, build more than just get to the starting line of my life. I needed more than just baby steps. I needed a marathon running. So what I did in my case to be better than debt-free was I packed as much as I could into one of those policies I described earlier, efficiently designed. And we refer to them as bank on yourself type policies because there's a lot of uh, inappropriately designed whole life insurance out there, but we designed it for maximum cash value. We pumped everything that we could into one of those policies, a couple of those policies my wife and I did. And then as we could, we borrowed against them to wipe out our debts. Now, the nice thing about this is when you borrow against a life insurance policy that's designed this way, the policy itself will continue to compound and grow even on the capital we borrow. So Hugh, let's say that I had a $30,000 cash value. And let's say I borrowed out $25,000 to pay off a student loan or to buy a car or something. Well, that year, my policy will continue to grow with guarantees in it uh, within it plus dividends on the entire $30,000 even the 25,000 that I had borrowed to pay off the debt. Now to me that beats paying cash because when I pay cash that money's gone forever. That is amazing. It's just a paradigm shift and having the knowledge to know about it. So how does that work for um saving for college for kids or charitable giving or buying a car or a house? Yeah, any major purchase, you know, I, I'll tell a quick story. We worked with a church that uh, wanted to set up one of these policies and they dumped a large sum that was just sitting in a CD earning 1% for them. And they wanted something that was going to give them a much better return. And these policies are not wild and crazy. They might give you a middle single digits, you know, four, five, 6% maybe. But what they liked about it was that it beat their CD for sure as a church. That was very nice to get four times as much growth as a CD might give them. But now they can use that like a bank. Now they were using a line of credit against their church building uh, to buy vans, church vans and do a you know renovation on their on their expansion on their building. Now instead of using a bank and having to kiss the ring of that banker, 
you know, getting approved for loans is not guaranteed. Now they use that policy and do, you know, send folks on mission trips by their church vehicles. They've done an expansion on their worship uh, area of their church building. Uh, I've had another church that actually uses the policy every year for a Jubilee Sunday, where they pay off everyone's consumer debts. You know, several of the neighbors and members, they'll come forward and bring a bunch of their phone bills, light bills, credit cards, and they'll just have a moment where they pay it all off. And then the, the, the members pay back the church with maybe low or no interest over a period of time, and they get some money counseling along the way so that they don't fall back into debt. I just think creative ideas like that, Hugh, can really bring a sense of hope and light to our communities. Now, whether you are, you know, a church or a nonprofit, or you're just a family member or a person who just wants to help their kids go to college or, you know, fix up the kitchen, what a cool way to make a major purchase, whatever it might be. That is amazing. That is So for somebody to get, that's a specially designed whole life policy. Um, what's the top age for somebody to even consider that? We've had folks approved for those policies is even as uh, young as 80 and 81. So I would say, uh, by joking, I say 80 young, as young as 81, uh, but I've seen it go as high as 85, uh, but just not me personally setting those up yet. Uh, but now having done this for over 10 years, you don't have to be a spring chicken to get one of these policies. I wouldn't recommend everyone just run out and go get one. Obviously, I would love to chat about whether or not it even makes sense to do this for anyone's particular circumstance. But age shouldn't be an issue. I even had a guy, he had just had open heart surgery and was not insurable for life insurance, Hugh. Uh, so what we instead did was we put a policy on his wife, his adult children, all of his grandkids. He's the owner of 12 policies. He's the owner, but he's not necessarily the insured. That's creative. So um, nonprofit executives or clergy, um, how can we use this or benefit for employees? This is one of my favorite and most exciting pieces to the puzzle, and I'm glad you asked. So, you know, we're all trying to keep our best employees with us these days. Hiring is tough for everyone right now at the current state of affairs with our world economy. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it be cool if along with the qualified plan, like your 401k or your 403b, as an employee, wouldn't it be cool if your employer, the nonprofit, let's say, gave you a policy like we've been describing today and the employer would help contribute to it. Maybe they match something that the employee puts in. Now the employee has a liquid bucket of money that they can access and use even before retirement. So 403Bs, 401Ks are great for the future, but what about your employee's needs today? And wouldn't it be cool to selectively choose which employees could get this extra benefit? And this is actually qualified in the tax code under section 162A, and it's been this way for many years, employers can give employees an executive bonus into a life insurance contract. And that policy then is the asset of the employee and the employee gets to use it for vacations, kids' college, paying off their own credit card debt. I mean, what would that do to a staff, nonprofit staff, if everybody was their own banker? and no longer needed to work because they were under the thumb of some credit card company. Wow. That is liberation. That is liberation. That's amazing. So we're talking to Mark Willis, founder of lakegrowth.com, where you can go 
make an appointment with Mark and let him share some of these ideas with you. And uh, people can call you from anywhere in the country, I guess. That's right. We actually have clients around the world. Now, you do have to be somehow tied to the United States or Canada to get one of these policies. Uh, but I'd be happy to answer questions um, in all 50 states for sure. Great. There's just a lot to learn and staying cur current on what's going on and uh, having somebody knowledgeable to share. So thank you for being willing to share your trade secrets with everybody today. So as we, um, this has been a really helpful interview. So if you want to go to thenonprofitexchange.org, and you can find this interview and um, you'll find a transcription of all those nuggets that he said in writing. Plus, you'll be able to listen to the recording or you can download it onto your smartphone or you can watch the video. So it's uh, Hugh Blue at Centervision Leadership Foundation helping you advance your leadership skills. And certainly this area of money is an important area for us to continue to stay in the front of this education curve. So as we're leaving, leaving this interview, uh, Mark, what thought do you want to leave people with today? We're already in the banking business. We're just sitting on the wrong side of the banker's desk. And so if we can sit on the right side of the banker's desk, I believe we can control our financial environment because banking, like I say, controls half the world's transactions. And so if you can become your own banker and sit on the right side of the banker's desk, you can control the environment in which your money lives and you'll win by default as a result. Mark Willis, thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.